lives. You know, but there's one thing that we don't choose, and that's the family that we're born into. Um, you don't choose um, who your parents are. You don't choose which country you're born in. You don't choose which, if, which, if, even which neighborhood you're born in. Um, and, you know, I'm not sure if you know this, but we have, in this world, a list or someone has actually came up with a list of countries um, that, that, that is more favorable or less favorable to be born in. You know, it started as a joke, but a few years later, um, some people realized that there was actually such a need. And you know what it's called? It's called Where to Be Born Index. So if you search Where to Be Born Index, you would find um, a list of countries ranked um, according to uh, the various factors that are taken into account as to where is the most favorable country to be born in. And there are some ridiculous things, like, I'm not sure if you know this, but if you were born in the United Arab uh, Emirates, uh, that's where Abu Dhabi and Dubai is. Um, and by the way, Abu Dhabi has only 10 to 12% citizenship. What that means is that people flock there, uh, but the, out of the 8 to 9 million people that live there, only 10 to 12% are citizens. Now, why do people flock to this place? Because if you are an Emirati, which is a citizen, a citizen of um, the UAE, the laws favor you in everything. You know, if you, uh, whatever company that you partner in, you must own 51% or the majority. Um, if, and did you know that if you uh, have a junior colleague that, that you don't like and he doesn't call you sir or ma'am, you have the option to terminate him on the spot. Um, if, you know, and, and you are... You are the only 10% in the country that is allowed to tint your cars above 30%, uh, 30% tint. You know, all these laws that favor you seemingly, um, seemingly unfairly. This is why people fight so hard sometimes um, to push to what they call a better place uh, to, to have children. You know, people will fight their whole lives to try to, to come to a so-called higher-ranking country because they believe that the opportunities there and that the rulership there is more fav favorable um, to their family, to them, and also to their children. But the point is this. People recognize that there is a power in birthright. People recognize that there is a difference um, to, in, into, which the situ into which the situation um, or the uh, environment in which you are born in. You know, have you ever thought, if your life will be different if you had a choice of which family or which area you're born into? You know, have you ever thought that maybe I would be in a different place, maybe I would be not who I am today um, if I was born into a different circumstance? You know, some people think, you know, how I wish I was born into a richer family. How I wish I had uh, uh, parents that could provide everything for me and I don't have to struggle my way through life. But on the other hand, we have some people that say, how I wish um, I was born into a family that, that didn't have so much. I've heard this before. So, uh, didn't have so much so that I can truly say that what I have is what I've earned. What I have is what I've worked for and it's not something that's just passed on to me. You know, some people would say, you know, maybe I would have turned out different if my parents um, had better characters. Uh, maybe I would have turned out different if my parents fought less. 
I would have turned out different if maybe I was born into a family that had more happiness, more joy. Now, on a spiritual standpoint, some people say, maybe I'll be different if I was born into a Christian family. Maybe I would have grown up different. I would, I would be um, in a better place. I wouldn't be struggling the things if I'm struggling now, if only I was born um, in an Adventist family. But on the other side of the coin, we have some people that say, how I wish, or, or maybe my life would have been different if I was born into a non-SDA family, because then I would have something to stand for. Then I would have, you know, testimonies that I can share. Then I would have, um, then I would know that the religion that I choose is one that is true and is one that I study out for myself. You know, personally, I've always, always I've always uh, also wondered if I would turn out, I would have turned out different if I was born into a different family. And you know, today we're going to read, uh, study a little bit about the family of God. Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 John 5, verse 1. Now, the slides are not working, so you need to uh, turn in your own Bibles. We're looking at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 1. Let me just turn to it real quick. 1 John 5, verse 1 reads, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. Now let's break down this text. What does John begin with? He says, whosoever. What does that mean? Does that mean some of us? No, right? Does that mean most of us? No. It means everyone, whosoever. It's an absolute, right? If I say um, everyone will have to eat three meals a day, that means every single person in this room, every single person in this country and in this world would, is included, right? So it's an absolute. There's no other way around it. Whosoever believes, believes in what? In Jesus? Does it say believe in Jesus? No, it says believes that Jesus is the Christ. Now, what does it mean when it says Christ? If you look into the Hebrew, um, I mean, uh, in, in the Hebrew, Christ means Messiah, right? And what does Messiah mean? It means the anointed one. So what does that mean, anointed one? Now, if you remember in your Old Testament stories, what happens when someone anoints, uh, what happens when someone is called, uh, before someone is called king, he needs to be, what? Anointed, right? What happened when Samuel, the prophet, anointed Saul? He became king. What happened when Samuel anointed David? He replaced uh, Saul as king. Now, the anointed one is sacred, right? It's set aside. When, uh, when, uh, when even David, King David, he didn't dare to kill Saul because Saul was the anointed one. Even when Saul was his sworn enemy and Saul was after his life. So what happens when Christ or Jesus is called the Christ or the Messiah or the anointed one? He is the king. But not only that, Christ, the word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which also means Savior and Redeemer. Now, how is Christ our Savior? How is Christ, how has Christ saved us? This is an old story, right? Christ came to live among us. Christ came to die for our sins. And Christ came to redeem our lives. Now, in the second chapter of this same book, John calls Christ the propitiation or in other words, the sacrifice for our sins. 
But let's read this verse again. Whosoever, everyone that believes Jesus is the King, the Savior, and the Redeemer. Everyone that believes that Jesus is the King, Savior, and Redeemer will be what? Born of God. You know, God's family is one of the only families that you can properly join as a choice. You know, and the condition to be born of God, to be born into the family is what? To believe that Christ has saved you and has redeemed your life. Now, this sounds like such a simple concept, right? Believe and you'll be born again. But did you know that this very key is the missing key in so many people's lives? Many, and there are many that suffer unnecessarily, many that suffer from sicknesses that will not be there if only they believe that Jesus can save them. Many people struggle with anxiety. What is anxiety? Anxiety is unbelief, if you think about it. Anxiety is saying that I do not have control of my life, right? I, everything's out of control. I don't want to go out. I don't want to see anyone. I don't want to go into crowds. I don't want to be in a place where I can't control the variables. What if this happens? What if that happens? We, do not, we refuse to believe that God can control our lives. We refuse to believe that God is in control. And what that manifests as is a panic attack, right? We get scared. We are afraid. Depression, my friends, is also unbelief. You're not worth it. No one will ever love you. I refuse to believe that God can deliver me from this world, so I will deliver myself. Many of us sitting here, unknowingly, we struggle with this sin of unbelief. Other than mental issues, it also manifests um, in other places. Many of us are driven to situations where we want to feel in control. We play games. We create virtual worlds um, that we can control. It drives um, the man to find fulfillment in other things. We find fulfillment in sports. We find fulfillment in uh, entertainment, in sex, in pornography. Ladies find fulfillment in, in, in intimacy, in relationships. A lot of us find fulfillment in food. And some of us struggle with bulimia because we want to control what we look like. Some of us are driven to new, new things, new experiences. We must have more experiences. We must travel more to find fulfillment, to have control over the happiness of our lives. But if you really think about it, what is the root issue? What is it that is causing us to struggle with all these things? It's because we have or we commit the sin of unbelief. We commit the sin of not believing that God so loved the world. We don't believe that God sent His only begotten Son. We don't believe that whoever believes in Him will not perish. We refuse to believe that God can give us everlasting life. The problem is that we refuse to simply believe this simple truth. Do we have the sin of unbelief in our hearts today? God says in that same book that we just read, confess it to Him. Ask God to prove it to, to, to you, and He will. You know, if God is the creator of the world, if God can create the world, He can create a new heart, a new mind in you. 
Let's look at the next verse in this um, chapter. We'll jump down to verse 4. A similar idea here, it says, For whatsoever, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Remember our previous verse in verse 1? Being born of God, the condition is to what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus has the power to save you. But what is the outward result of that in verse 4? Believing in Jesus results in one thing. And what is that? It is us overcoming what? The world. Now, overcoming here in the Greek comes from the word nikau, which means literally to subdue. Literally, to have the victory over, to conquer, to have a battle with, and to win. What sort of words are, there, are these, my friends? These are military words, right? You hear this from the military. They say, go, conquer, win, fight. Now, this is, these are not flowery, cutesy, uh, you know, j- jumping bunnies. You know, not, not that sort of imagery, but it is war. And God says here that whatsoever is born of God, whosoever is born of God, wages a war against the world. Now, unfortunately, so many of us find ourselves on the different side or the other side of the coin. We fail to make war with the world, but instead, we do what? We sign treaties, we sign agreements, we shake hands with the world. It's okay. God doesn't really care what I eat. You know, I can't have my colleagues thinking that I'm weird, right? I can't have them thinking that, um, oh, this is this weird guy that doesn't eat certain things. It's fine. God doesn't really mind if I spend some time, if I spend some time in, in TV shows. It does, he doesn't mind if I spend some time in secular entertainment. You know, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just fun and games. It's comedy. It's okay. God can convert my unbelieving girlfriend or boyfriend. We can have our separate ways and we can figure it out, you know, as we go along. But listen to what God says in verse 4. Whatsoever is born of God, fights with, conquers, subdues, and overcomes the world. And what does it continue to say? And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And what is the victory? It is our faith. You know, this, John brings us back to this idea of belief again. Why? Because our faith is our belief that Jesus Christ can be and should be our victory. Jesus has done it, so he will help me do it. Jesus knows best, so I will obey his laws on food. I believe that God wants wants me to spend more time with him in the Bible, in prayer, so I will not spend that same time watching a TV show or scrolling or looking at my social media. I believe that God wants me to overcome, not overcome the world and my partner, but I believe that God wants me to overcome the world with my partner my husband, or my wife. You know, our faith in God must manifest, not just in words, not just when someone asks you, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus, right? It manifests in what? In us fighting against the world and, and winning against it. And, and if you read the verses in between, verse 1 and 4, you will see that what? Someone, we can only truly know who is a child of God and who is a devil, who is the son of the devil by these criterias. Let's jump, on, jump down to verse 13. 
John continues to write, these things, what things? The things that I've written previously, right? These things. So I'm telling you that everything that is born of God overcomes the world. I'm telling you that every, everything that is born of God is one that believes in that Jesus is the Christ. These things I have written to you so that you may, what again? Believe. Believe on, the, on who? The name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, that you may know, you may believe on the name of the Son of God. And he continues in verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. How is it that we can believe in Jesus? How is it that we can have this faith that Jesus can take control of our lives? We need to learn to do what? To ask. How do you ask God for things? It's very simple, right? Prayer. In other words, God is saying, if there is, you know, if you have committed the sin of unbelief, if you are struggling with some form of manifestation of unbelief, what is the one area of your life that needs to change? It is the area of prayer. If the one thing that is suffering along with your idea of unbelief, it will be the area of prayer. It will be the area of your personal prayer. You know, there's one thing that comes up in verse 14, and that is confidence. And this is a question that I ask myself, and I would like to ask you today. Where does your confidence lie? John says that this is the confidence that we have in who? Is it in your investments? Is it in your talents? Is it in your skills? Is it in whatever you have? Is it in yourself? Is it in the things that you know that you can do? No. This is the confidence that we have in Him. You know, today we talk a lot about self-esteem. We hear it all, all, all on the TV shows, on the radio, in the stuff that we see. People say, ah, children need more self-esteem. You need more self-esteem. You need to think higher of yourself. But God says what? Do you need self-esteem? Do you need confidence in yourself? No, you need confidence in Him. This is the confidence that we have in Him. Because you see, truly not many of us, or a lot of us, uh, not many of us know, truly have confidence in God. We have confidence in a lot of things. We have confidence in the funds that we have bought, that we have invested in. Because why? We see evidence, we think this is a good fund. Okay, so I'll invest in it, and I'm confident that it will grow. I have confidence, we have confidence in leaders, right? We look up to certain people, um, and in the context of a country, we exercise our right to vote for people that we are confident in. We are confident in the things we buy. We choose a certain car because we are confident that it will take us from A to B. We are confident um, in our houses, in our roofs, that it won't fall in on our heads. Every time we step into an elevator or a lift or an escalator, we are confident that it will take us upwards or downwards. We have confidence in ourselves. We are, we are confident because I have done this a hundred times, therefore I can do it again. We have confidence in our education, our degrees. Because I have um, a, a degree from X, uh, X, A, B, or C university, so therefore I am qualified, therefore I am confident. We are confident in our life experiences. Um, I have experienced this, therefore I am confident that this is the right choice 
to make. You know, I'm not saying that we should make uninformed decisions, right? I'm not saying that uh, we shouldn't research on the things that we uh, are choosing or comparing in between to buy. You know, if you want to buy a new car, I would expect you to do your research, right? Find out what comes with the purchase, you know? Find out, um, uh, find out uh, uh, what are the choices you have at the same price range. Maybe you need to go for test drives. Maybe you should ask someone that has uh, owned a similar car or same, uh, same model of the car so that you can know, you know, uh, a realistic projection of what, what that purchase is going to bring you, right? So I'm saying you should do your research. But, but if you think about it, do you recognize that God knows exactly what you need? Do you recognize that He knows, in this context, um, exactly what car you need to drive? Maybe you should ask God first. He knows, I mean, he knows exactly what chapter you need to study in your upcoming exam. He knows exactly which job you need to take. He knows exactly which school you need to send your kids to and what they need to do. You know, we should learn to ask God for things in our lives. Because if you see, I mean, because we know that prayer, it doesn't bend God's will to us. You know, we, we so often think that if we pray, um, then God would change His mind from not giving us to giving us a certain thing. So if I don't pray for good health, then God won't give me good health. If I don't pray for A, then God won't give me A. Sometimes we think that way. But no, prayer does not bend our will to God, but it bends our will to His. You know, maybe you shouldn't buy that car because God knows that you will be in a financial situation in a few months. You know, maybe it's not God's will for you to get that perfect 100% grade because simply because that will send you on a scholarship to a university in which you will lose your eternal salvation. You know, maybe you don't need to get that high-paying, most convenient, closest-to-home job because it will require you to break the fourth, maybe the eighth and the ninth commandment. Until we learn that we need to involve God and talk to Him in every part of our lives, we will never truly have confidence in Him. Think about the people that we are mentoring, people that we have an influence over, people in the church, maybe your children, maybe the people that you're teaching. Do we teach these people? Do we teach the people under us to have confidence in God? Do we teach our children to have confidence in God? Or do we teach them instead to have confidence in their education? Do we teach them instead to have confidence in the people around them? Trust him, trust, trust this guy, trust that guy. And do, do, do we actually teach them more to trust in people? Do we teach them to trust earthly contracts and agreements? What is our daily witness to them? What is our daily conversation with them? Do we teach our children to ask God to help them in everything that they do? Now, do they see from our words and our actions that God is the one in control? Do they see from your words and actions something as simple as getting to your destination is something that is in control of God? Maybe in our lives, our own lives, we don't reflect that confidence in God or any confidence in God. And we don't have a prayer life that is clear and evident. How can we expect the people that we mentor, how can we expect our children to have confidence 
in something that you yourself don't have any confidence in. I'm going to read to you a quote from the book Prayer, which is supposed to be on the screen, but you've got to listen closely, okay? It's found in, um, I believe, in page 189 or 78. Uh, 178, um, the first paragraph. It says, family or public prayer alone is not sufficient. So clearly we can see, right, that a lot of us, even by coming here to church, we uh, contribute or we take part in public prayer. We pray together with many people. But also, some of us, we pray as a family. We pray over our food. We pray sometimes during the evenings. Um, But it says here what? That family or public prayer alone is not sufficient. What is needed? Secret prayer is very important. Why is it important? Because in solitude, the soul is laid bare to the inspecting eye of God and every motive is scrutinized. It is only in secret prayer. It is only when no one is listening to you when God can truly speak to your heart. When God can truly tell you how or show you how you've been living your life. Secret prayer, exclamation mark. How precious. The soul communing with God. Secret prayer is to be heard by me and my close friends. Is that true? No. Secret prayer is to be heard but only by who? The prayer hearing God. No one else, not even your wife, not even your children, not even anyone that's close to you. No curious ear is to receive the burden of such petitions. In secret prayer, and only in secret prayer, the soul is free from surrounding influences, free from excitement, calmly yet fervently will it reach out to God, after God. Secret prayer, unfortunately, is perverted and its designs are lost by what? Loud vocal prayer. Instead of the calm, quiet trust and faith in God, instead of the soul being drawn out in humble, low and humble tones, instead the voice is raised to a loud pitch and excitement is encouraged and secret prayer loses its softening sacred influence. So in other words, our secret prayer is meant to be a time spent between us and God only. And what can ruin it? When we invite audiences. When we think that praying with our spouse is secret prayer. When we think that praying um, at the dinner table with our family is enough prayer. Let's see what she continues to say. When you pray loud, vocal, public prayers, there is a storm of feeling, storm of words. People find the best phrases to impress. People want to phrase things in the right way because everyone's listening to you. And it makes it impossible to discern the still, small voice that speaks to the soul while engaged in a secret, true, heartfelt devotion. You see, prayer that is made public to to the entire family in the neighborhood is not secret prayer. You might think that it ought to be it, it, that it is, but actually divine strength is not received from it. And it says, Sweet and abiding will be the influence uh, emitting from him who seeth in secret, whose ear is open to, the answer, to answer the prayer arising from the heart. By calm and simple faith, the soul holds communion with God and gathers to itself divine rays of light to strengthen and sustain it to endure the conflicts of Satan. God is our tower of strength. Do you want to overcome the world? Do you want to overcome your feelings of anxiety, feelings of unworthiness, feelings of being unable to to control your life? Then pray. Find time 
for secret prayer. You know, for some of us, this means that we need to clear out that small storeroom in our house, place a pillow there, and kneel there every day. For others, it might mean we need to find a way to distance ourselves from the hustle and bustle of the home. Maybe it means we need to wake up an hour earlier before everyone else is up, before even um, the younger ones get up at 4 or 3 a.m. You know, for those of us that do not have yet a place or a secret private place for you to pray to God alone, now I challenge you to make time and space and put in the effort to include it in your daily routine. You know, it really, secret prayer really changed my life. And I think that right here, um, when God challenged me to it, um, I found that it benefited me a lot. And I think God is challenging us today as well. If you want to overcome the world, if you truly want to be born of God, and you truly want to believe that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, God is challenging you to prove Him. Prove your belief. Prove your faith. But let's continue to read in verse 18. So John again, again repeats himself, right? We know, okay, that whosoever is born of God. Now, this, if you notice, right, this is the last chapter of 1 John. And this is the last few verses of chapter 5, the last chapter of the book. Um, and you can imagine, this is how John kind of concludes his letter, right? Um, and, you know, in, in the book of 1 John, he speaks about a lot of things. He speaks about um, the Word of God. He speaks about believing in God. He speaks about having faith. Um, he speaks about confessing your sins. Um, and he says, and he ends these last few verses with a similar phrase. He says, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. In other words, you already know that someone born of God does not sin. You already know what constitutes being born of God. Verse 19, and we know, again, that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God is come, and have given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true, and we are in Him that is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So John kind of comes back one full circle, right? He says, you know, these are things that you already know. You already know what is being born of God. You already know that being born of God is overcoming the world and that it's not sinning. You, you, know that, you already know that you are of God. The rest of the world, the wickedness, you already know that Christ has already come. That you can know a true God and have eternal life. You already know. These are not something that, this is not something that's new. You know, sin, prayer, believing truly that Christ's control is in control of your life, it's not something new. Something that we all know. But John highlights it and says, and says that, look, this is something you need to come back to each and every day. Prayer is something you need to come back to each and every day. Committing yourself to God is something that you need to, do, you need to come back to each and every day. Because our inclination is to trust in ourselves. Our inclination is to say that, you know, why do I need to pray again for traveling from my place to my workplace? I drive it every day. I can get there safely. You know? Our inclination is to leave God out of the equation. And, John, and God, through John, brings us back to this point. But look, joining the family of God, you know, as you can see here, is not really all fun and games, bed and roses. 
bed of roses, right? But neither it is full of sadness, full of mourning. You know, you sitting here this morning indicates to me that you have, or at least had uh, previously at one point, chosen to join the family of God. And in the words of John, uh, words of John, to be born of God. But maybe our actions and our choices over the past week, the past month, past year, maybe even just today, this morning, aren't reflective of that choice to join the family. We still live in sin. We justify those uh, sins, those actions, and we do it until it's not sin to us. You know, we shake hands with the world. We say, um, how can I be so radical? How can I be so different? We don't believe Christ has overcome the world. Therefore, we don't think that we can overcome the world. We don't believe that we can overcome any of our temptations or our sins because we simply refuse to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And God has only one sentence for us. In verse 21, he says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. You know, the word little children here has a deep significance. You know, you might think that it's, you know, children, you know, it's just thrown everywhere. But, you know, this is not a term that is used lightly in those days. It's only used with people that you're intimate with, you're close with. And in this case, you know, on the surface, John is saying this because he probably had a lot of love for these guys. He had a lot of love, a lot of affection for this group of believers that he was written to, he was writing to, um, and he was probably their direct teacher at one point or their mentor. So they're saying little children. He's saying little children. But on a more spiritual sort of standpoint, we know what? This piece of advice that God is giving to us doesn't come from a place of cold, calculated um, co-calculated uh, authority, but it comes from a place of love. It comes out of a place of affection, of, of intimacy, of love. And God is saying, and giving us a command out of love, it says, keep yourselves from idols. God's only advice for us who have fallen away, who have failed to believe that Christ, that Jesus truly is the Christ in our lives, that Jesus truly can help us overcome the world. What's, what is the issue here? God's advice for us is that we should keep away from idols. My beloved children, throw away your idols. What are your idols today that are preventing you from truly believing in God? You know, what is truly getting in between your time, in between you and God? You know, what is the time that you sh- you're supposed to be giving to God um, what are you spending that time on? You know, maybe you need to throw your idols out of the window, throw it into the fire, destroy it. You want to trust God? You want to get rid um, of your anxiety, of your stresses in life? You want to get rid? Uh, you want to learn to trust in Jesus? You want to truly learn that Jesus can trust, uh, Jesus can control your life and is in control? Get rid of your idols. Do you, are you do you want to have confidence in God? Do you want to learn to have confidence in your prayer and say that whatever I ask, I know what I've asked of God. I know that I have confidence in God. You want to have confidence in prayer? Get rid of your idols. You want to have victory over sin? Get rid of your idols. You know, I think sometimes we do not, we do not value God because we simply refuse to accept that God is worth more than a weekly half-a-day event on Sabbath. We refuse to accept that God can truly actually make a tangible difference in our lives. 
You know, we think God's just this intangible, you know, wishy-washy, just pray for my food, pray for safe travels sort of God. Um, you know, and as a result, we refuse to spend any time with God. We think it's boring. We think it's a waste of time. We refuse to spend any time with God. We refuse to study the Bible, to let Him speak to us, and we refuse to talk to Him through our personal prayer. We refuse to spend more time in private prayer. You know, I've, I've uh, heard some people say they want to learn to tithe their time. Have you heard that before? You know, out of 24 hours, they tithe 10%. They want to learn to give 2.4 hours to God. Do we do even 5% of that? One and a half? One hour and 45 minutes? Do we even give 1% of that? Think about it. If we can give 10% of all our increase, you know, I'm not saying that you should give two and a half hours, but I'm saying that if you just think about it in that sense, right, we don't even tithe, uh, we don't even give 1% of our time to God some days. We don't even, we don't even give uh, 0.5% of our month to God. You know, maybe that simply, that desire, and us not doing it, that is a reflection of our true state of belief in God. You know, how John promises, uh, God promises through John here that we will know eternal life. We will know that we will be in full joy, in fellowship with the family of God. Now, maybe today God is calling you and calling us and me as well to give away and to put away our idols. And, then, and maybe today the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and bringing to your mind, impressing on your mind some things that you know that you need to sacrifice, and you need to stop doing. And some of us, for some of us, the decision to do that or to put it away can literally be made right now and can even be done right after the service. Because from here, we can see the only way to be born of God is to believe, and the only way that we can join the family of God is to truly believe that Jesus is the Christ in our lives. And that's the only way God can give us true fellowship an understanding and a relationship of and with Him. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, even as we have heard um, the message today, it speaks to all of our hearts, including mine, that we need to learn to re-examine our faith each day. We need to learn to re-examine our belief in Christ. Is Christ really in control of our lives? of every single part of our lives. Maybe for some of us, Lord, you have spoken to us and we want to commit to more time for, for you. We want to commit to a place of secret prayer. And for the others, maybe you're speaking to us to put away some things that are distracting us from you, to put away some things that are taking up our time, put away, in John's words, the idols in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would give us strength to follow through with our decisions and that this week, Lord, will be a different week. It will be a week of commitment. It will be a week of love for you. And it will be a week that we can truly say that the world has no hold on us and that the whole world lies in wickedness and that we have the power through you to overcome. Be with us now, Lord, as we, as we leave this uh, divine service session, as we move on to food and we fellowship. Help us keep the Sabbath holy. I pray these things in Jesus' name.